Good morning, guys. It's good to be with you guys. It's good to have you guys with us online. Thanks for joining us. We even got to see Stephen's big face up there when he was on vacation. He's still with us, so it's good to have him. Thanks for the worship team for leading us. Every time we sing that last song and we, we get to that part that says, your goodness is running after, running after me, it just reminds me of all the time I was running from God and how he didn't stop pursuing me. I, he never waited for me to pursue him. He just came after me and came after me and came after me. And I would like to say that those moments of me running from God ended the day I accepted Christ, but that wasn't always the case. There have been days that I have still run from God, and what I found is that his goodness just keeps running after me. I'm, I'm so blown away by Psalm 23, uh, where it talks about surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God's goodness and mercy follows us. Amen. There's a lot to praise God about. Well, we've been talking uh, for the last several weeks now about the good news, the gospel, as it is found in the book of Romans. And so if you've got Bibles, you're going to want to turn to the book of Romans chapter 5. We're going to be there eventually. But I want to talk a little bit about this whole issue of good news and bad news. As we study this book, we have been talking a little bit about some of the bad news. Paul opens his, his um, epistle to the Romans with bad news, and he talks about all the problems that we have and how we have turned away from God. We have run away from God. There is none who seeks after God, none who does good, etc., etc., etc. And as we're reading that, our shoulders just droop a little more and more with every sentence, and we go, man, this is really bad news. It makes you not even want to keep going. But um, the bad news gets interrupted eventually by some good news, which we started hearing a couple of weeks ago about how Jesus paid the price for our sin and died on the cross, which is great because sometimes you get promised good news, but the good news that you're promised doesn't turn out to be as good as you thought it would be, right? Like the, the guy who went in to have uh, Lasix eye surgery, and the doctor came in after the surgery, and the guy said, well, how did it go? And the doc said, well, I have good news and bad news. He said, well, what's the good news? He said, looks like you're going to be getting a new dog. Okay. How about this one? The lady who calls her husband and says, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And he's at work. He says, I'm really busy. She goes, I got good news and bad news. He goes, well, just give me the good news. She goes, well, okay. The good news is that the airbags and the new Mercedes work perfectly. <laughs> I got a... Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do one more. One more. Let's see if we can do better this time. The guy... Who gets a call from his doctor after the checkup and the, the doctor says, listen, I've got some good news and some bad news. And he says, well, what's the good news? He says, looks like they're going to name a disease after you. <laughs> okay, so I became a pastor because my life as a stand-up comic didn't go that well. <laughs> but the thing is that for some Christians, it is really hard to tell that the good news is really all that good in their lives. 
For, for a lot of people who hang out in church buildings on Sunday mornings, uh, it's really hard to tell that this good news that God has offered us is really so incredibly good in the first place. If you just watch their lives, you go, I'm not sure I'm really seeing this good news that I keep hearing so much about. Let me ask you a question, because not all of you grew up in this area. How many of you got to go to Disneyland as a child? Right? You all have smiles on your face when you raise your hand about that. Um, so, so I grew up here. I got to go to Disneyland as a child, and that was a really cool thing back in the day when you could actually afford to go to Disneyland, and you just had to buy one of those little ticket books, right? And, um, but I, wanted, I want us to imagine for a second. You're back in, uh, say, fourth grade, and, and there's a new kid in class, he's, he's been coming, he's been in school for a couple weeks, and you're just getting to know him, and uh, he, he moved here from Ohio, and he says, hey, guess what, tomorrow on Friday, I'm not going to be in school because my parents are taking me to Disneyland, and you're like, oh, that is so awesome, dude, you're going to have the best time, you got to let me know how it goes, and so sure enough, on Friday, his desk is empty, and you're like, that guy's at Disneyland, it's going to be so great for him, he comes back on Monday, and he's wearing the Mickey ears, right, the whole thing, and you're like, hey, how was Disneyland, and he goes, it was, it was good, and you're like, wait a minute, what'd you do, he says, well, I, we got there, we parked in this huge parking area, and then, uh, oh, there was like a, a tram, we got to ride the tram, that was kind of fun, and you're like, yeah, and he goes in, and then we got to the ticket booth, and my dad gave him $3,000, and they gave us three tickets, and we came in, and, and uh, oh my gosh, we went through the turnstile, and right there in front of us is this giant Mickey head, and it's made out of flowers. It's the coolest thing, and up above that, you could see a train station, and sometimes there's a train that goes by up there. He's like, yeah, yeah, tell me more, tell me more. He goes, well, so when we got there, we went through the turnstile right there below Mickey's face. My mom brought this blanket, and we put the blanket down, and we just sat down, and, um, and we just spent the day there. And you're like, uh, what, do you, what do you mean you just spent the day there? He says, well, it was cool. Every, every so often a train would go by and we could watch that. And, and somewhere in the distance I could hear a band playing. I never really saw them, but there was a band. And man, I could smell the popcorn. Oh, and I bought these ears. It was, it was, really, it was really pretty cool. And you're like, yeah, what else? That's all. You didn't go through one of those tunnels on the right or on the left, and no, I didn't, I didn't really see any tunnels. We just, we just sat there on that blanket and listened to the band in the distance and smelled the popcorn, and I got to wear my Mickey ears. Honestly, it was, it was okay, but I don't understand why everybody makes such a big deal out of it. Too many Christians are living like that kid. We walk through the turnstile. We, we, we step over that line, if you will, right? That, that there's this um, imaginary spiritual line that exists. 
where God says, you know, um, the kingdom of heaven is over there, and you hear the gospel of Christ, and you're like, this is amazing. I'm going to invite Jesus into my life to be my Lord and Savior. And at that moment, I step over that line, and now I've gone through the turnstile, and now I am in the kingdom. And for a bunch of us, it seems to stop there. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of Christians, they're, they're in the kingdom and everything, but that's about it. I mean, they're glad to be saved, um, obviously rather go to heaven than hell, so that's good. But if they're honest, not a whole lot has changed since that day they stepped over the line. Not a whole lot has been transformed in their lives since that day they prayed that prayer. They responded to the good news, but if they're honest, they would have to admit that that's about where the story stopped for them. It hasn't really made much of a difference in their lives at all. Now, remember our friend sitting on the blanket inside the turnstile of Disneyland. Now, you remember, this is when you're in fourth grade, so, you know, Jim, that's like 60 years ago, right? So when you're in fourth grade, <laughs> 70, 80 years, anyways, a long time ago, all of a sudden you're sitting there on that blanket with your parents and, and up walks this guy in a suit and he says, hi, I'm Walt Disney. And he introduces himself to you and he says, I noticed you're sitting here on the blanket. Um, how come you haven't come in to enjoy the kingdom? You know, there's a whole magic kingdom just beyond those tunnels. And you're like, really? I, I don't know about that. And he goes, I'll tell you what. How would you like to be my guest and go with me into the magic kingdom and we'll spend the day in there together? Imagine what it would have been like to have toured Disneyland with Walt. I'm guessing you don't wait in line. I'm guessing the popcorn is cheaper, Right? And, and you get to see all the backstage stuff, and you get to hear all the cool stories, and you get to meet all the characters, and you get all the autographs and all the good stuff, because you're with the guy who created the kingdom. Guys, as Christians, too many of us are just so happy that we crossed over the line and entered into the kingdom that we forget when we were invited into the kingdom, it wasn't just to go and visit, it was to be with the one who created the kingdom. And some of us are missing that. Some of us are missing that terribly. And we hear about this abundant life. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And we hear about that and we hear preachers talking about that all the time. But for some of us, if we're honest, we would go, well, you know, I have certain religious opinions. I have certain ideas. I have certain traditions and certain things I do and certain things I don't do because of my Christianity. But if you're talking about some special, amazing, incredible, joy-filled, abundant life, I don't really know much about that. I have a, I have a dear friend who's a pastor, and he's, he tells a story all the time about how he and his wife came to Christ together. And uh, they, they owned a home, and they had, him, had uh, hired a contractor to come and do work in their house. 
And um, so this guy was there every day doing the room addition, and every day for several months they saw this guy and hung out with this guy and talked with this guy. And after a while they noticed there's something really different about this guy, and he started telling them about his relationship with Jesus. And before he finished the job, he sat down with them at their kitchen table and he explained in no uncertain terms the gospel and how desperately they need Jesus and how much Jesus loves them and the price that he paid for their sins. And that day in their kitchen table, they sat with that contractor, bowed their heads, and both of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. He tells that story all the time. But the interesting part to me is this. He always says... That was the beginning of the most miserable year of my life. And, and, and you go, what? He goes, yeah, because that guy on that day packed up his tools, loaded up his truck, and left. And we had sincerely crossed the line. We had sincerely stepped into the kingdom. We had been part, become part of the family of God, but we had no idea where to go from there. We had no church. We had no Christian friends. We had no Bibles. We had nobody telling us how to walk with God. And we had no idea what all of that was about. And he goes, so you know what we did? We kept living the same way. But now we had the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Man, the old life is no fun when you add the Holy Spirit to that mix. But they didn't have any idea how to take that step further and walk in the Spirit. So they had a whole year from the time they met Christ to the time that they actually started getting discipled and growing in the Lord before they even knew anything about what this abundant life is all about. And so many church people that I have met over the years are still sort of stumbling through and going, where's this abundant life? I've heard so much about. There are a lot of Christians who are in that position. And so in Romans chapter 5, told you we would get there. In Romans chapter 5, Paul addresses that problem, addresses this issue with us, and he begins to tell us a little bit in Romans chapter 5 about why that happens. Why we step into the kingdom, but we don't step any further sometimes, and why that leaves us so empty and so miserable, and what can be done about it. So we're in Romans chapter 5 with this big picture of what the gospel is all about, and we're going to pick it up in Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. So if you've got your Bibles, just follow along with me. If not, just look over the shoulder of the person next to you. They're a Christian. They have to let you do it, okay? So just do it that. Here we go, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's it. That's the good news. That's what we've heard, right? We heard that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to become godly. He didn't wait for us to be good enough. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He came to us. He died for us. He paid the price for our sin while we were yet sinners. That's the good news. We've heard it. Jesus paid the price. 
we walk through the turnstile. But now what? Keep reading. Verse 9. Much more. Now, if you've got a pen, a highlighter, you want to underline those words much more. They're going to become very important in this passage. Much more, it says in verse 9 of Romans 5, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, there's those words again, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, a lot of us have gotten this much of the picture. We are uh, guilty before a holy God and we need someone to pay the price for our sin. We can never afford to pay it ourselves and so God sends his only son to hang on a bloody cross and pay the price for our sin so that we can go through the turnstile, so that we can step over the line, so that we can have eternal life, so that we can get into the eternal magic kingdom. And we get that, but we've missed the much more part. There's much more to the story than the entrance to the magic kingdom. There is much more to walking with Christ. There is much more to the Christian life. The gospel is not just that you don't have to go to hell. If it was, that would be enough, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you still stand up and cheer for God? That would, that would be enough. But he says that's not all there is. There's actually much more. If Jesus just died on the cross, that would have been enough to save us from the penalty of our sin. But God says that's not where the good news ends. There is much more. Because Jesus died on the cross, you get into the kingdom. Your admission has been paid. You're inside the gate. You can see the flowers and watch the train go by and smell the popcorn and hear the band and all of that kind of stuff. You can even buy the ears and wear them anytime that you want. But if you go through either of those tunnels on the sides, you will find that beyond the train station, there is much more. And too many of us as Christians, we just don't know the much more. We live as if the much more doesn't exist. And God has a better plan for our lives than that. Much better. You see, some of us are saved. But from all indications, our faith is a dead faith. Because all we know is the death of our Savior. He died on the cross. And because he died on the cross, we get to be saved. We've been saved by his death. But my friends, there is much more. Because guess what happened? After they took the dead, bloody body of Jesus down from the cross, wrapped him in linen wrappings, and put him in a tomb and sealed the tomb and surrounded it by Roman soldiers. Guess what happened next? It turns out there's much more to the story. On the third day, as the sun peaked over the horizon, on that day the ground began to shake. 
on that blessed Sunday morning, the Roman soldiers fell down as one dead man. On that Sunday morning, the angel appeared and, and there stood by the tomb and the stone rolled away. Our Savior had died on Friday, but on Sunday, he did much more. And we've got to live in the much more, my friends. And if we're not living in the much more, we've missed it. Look again what it says, verse 9, much more than. Verse 10, um, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. And underline these last words, by his life. The better translation there um, is in his life. There, there's a oneness with the resurrection that Paul is talking about there that isn't just his resurrection, but it's our resurrection too. Jesus rose to new life, and by faith in him, we get to experience that new life, not just someday when we get to heaven, but right now, abundant life, right now, fruitful life, right now, productive life, right now, joyful life, right now, because on Friday, Jesus died, but on Sunday, he did much more. Verse 11 says we're saved in his life. Guys, we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. <laughs> but there's much more. If you're a Christian, the good news of the gospel tells us that we get to participate in his life with him. It wasn't uh, just Jesus who obtained new life that day when the stone rolled away and he came walking out of the tomb. It was every single one of us who by faith has put our trust in him. That is much more, much more than the humdrum religious existence that some of us have come to accept as normal. It's much more than a lot of us have settled for. And let me tell you why. The Bible tells us that Jesus is not just alive somewhere waiting for us to find our way to him in heaven one day. It tells us that Jesus lives in us, that this new life in Christ is in us. You remember what Jesus had to say to his disciples in those last days before his arrest and uh, crucifixion and murder? A big chunk of John's gospel is devoted to these last hours before Jesus went to the cross. It all starts in John chapter 14. So if you're in Romans, turn back two books to the left and go to John chapter 14. And we're going to spend a minute there. So go to John chapter 14 because that's where this long section of Jesus sharing his famous last words begins here in John chapter 14. And, and remember that Jesus tells his disciples, listen, um, I'm going to be going away. And they said, okay, well, we'll come with you. And he goes, no, wh where I'm going, you cannot come. And, and so um, Thomas says, well, can you at least show us the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Philip says, well, um, can you please at least just show us God? 
And he says, Philip, have you been with me all this time and you don't know me? He says, whoever has seen me has seen God. And then he says, don't worry. Although I go away, you're still going to do great works. You'll be able to do even greater things than you have seen me do after I go away. Can't you just see these confused disciples sitting there listening to Jesus talk about this and going, how in the world is this even possible? Every amazing thing we've seen, every miraculous move that has been made, every healing, every person raised from the dead, every, um, every sight that has been restored, every amazing sermon that has stirred the hearts of people, all of that has happened when we have been with him. It has been what he has done and what we have seen because we were with him. And now he's saying, I'm not going to be with you anymore, but those still things are going to happen. So Jesus explains the plan and we're going to pick it up in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John and verse 16. Follow along. He says this, this is Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened? that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word, and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He says things are going to change. I'm going to go away, and it's actually going to be better. Now they're still scratching their heads. And then you turn the page to John chapter 15, and in John chapter 15, he says, let me try to illustrate this for you. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And if you will abide in me, if you will be grafted into me, if you will make your home with me, if you will be interwoven with me. Did you see what it said in John 14? I in you, my Father in you, the Spirit in you. If, if you will be in me, Christ says, you will bear much fruit. Is it your job to create the fruit? No. Is it your job to produce the fruit? No. It is your job to bear the fruit that he creates while you abide in him. So he says, if you abide in me, then you will bear much fruit. Fruit, and then in verse 11, he says something incredibly important. We're in John 15, 11. Look at what he says here as he finishes this little illustration. He says, 
These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The key to this joy he speaks of, to this abundant life that his resurrection makes possible, is that we will abide in him, make our home in him. And, and in case we're wondering, how do we do that? How, how do I abide in him? He tells us. He says, you abide in me by keeping my commandments and walking with me. So it's as we trust him, as we obey him, as we listen to his voice, as we develop our relationship with him, <clears throat> as we cannot define ourselves anymore separate from him, he says, you're abiding in me, and when you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, and that will give you joy. I tell you this so that your joy may be made full. And some of you aren't doing so well with this. You know how I know? Because you have no joy. You go, well, I have joy. <laughs> really, maybe you want to tell your face about that. <laughs> For too many church people, Christianity is more of a chore a set of things I have to do and can't do than it is a joy-filled, abundant life. For too many church people, what we think of the Christian life is just boring. But Jesus rose so that you and I could experience life and that more abundantly. The gospel is so much more than a ticket into God's eternal magic kingdom. It is so much more than just the bad news that we're lost in our sin, followed by the good news that Jesus died for us. The gospel means that if we will put our trust in him, if we will let him be the Lord of our lives, if we will abide in him, our lives will, be, will bear much fruit and our lives will be filled with joy. The gospel is good news. The good news is that if you are in Christ, you are not a slave to your circumstances. The good news is that if you are in Christ, you are not a slave to your ever-changing moods. The good news is that if you were in Christ, you are not a slave to every fleshly desire and temptation that comes your way. If you are in Christ, the Bible says you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you are saved by his death, then much more you shall be made new by his life. That, my friends, is why Easter is the most significant day of the year. That's why Easter is the most significant point in all of human history. It is wonderful that Christmas happened. It is incredible that the infinite God poured himself into the 
the body of a human incarnate and became one of us so he could pay the price for our sin. Christmas blows my mind, the miraculousness of the whole thing. Good Friday is incredibly important. If Jesus hadn't died on the cross, we would have no hope for our penalty to be paid. Good Friday is so incredibly important. But without Easter, you could take all of it and just throw it out. Because our life depends upon His life. His life is lived in us. His life is lived through us. His life makes abundant life possible for us. That empty tomb. It doesn't just mean that Jesus is not dead anymore. It means we're not dead anymore. That's what it means. The good news is that in him, you and I can have abundant life. He didn't call you and ask you and invite you into his family, adopt you as a son or a daughter so you could sit there and go, man, is this ever boring. That's not what the abundant life is all about. And I just want to be as honest and as serious and sincere as I possibly can. If you have crossed over that line, passed through the turnstile, and entered into a saving relationship with Jesus, but you are bored and you are stuck and you are frustrated and you are discouraged, I want you to know that that empty tomb means that what God has for you is much, much more than what you've settled for. The good news is that in Him, we can have abundant life. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved in His life. God has much more than you ever imagined in store for you. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we are just uh, astonished to think that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still enemies of yours you sent your only son to pay our price which we could never pay for ourselves but much more you live in us you live through us that eternal life that abundant life that joy-filled life that is only accessible in jesus christ is now accessible to every one of us who will say yes to your lordship yes to your grace yes to your love. And so I pray, God, for each person within the sound of my voice. Maybe, God, um, people who have sort of heard part of the gospel and thought, well, um, that just, that's, that's not for me. God, I just pray that you would open hearts and help people to see that there is so much more in you. And Father, for those of us who have settled for less, who, who haven't who haven't really understood how to walk with you, how to abide in you. God, I pray that you would create 
for us pathways, relationships, friendships, people who would help us to grow, someone who would join us in the journey, walk by our side, that we might know what it is to really have that joy-filled, abundant life that we can only find in you. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the price for our sin and you died for us on that cross. But thank you that much more we shall now live in you because you rose again. May we live a life that is pleasing to you in every aspect. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us forgiveness and so much more. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.